welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. I'm Gary Mackay and joining me today is a man who you can regularly find mixing with the stars in the Hilton, Football Scotland's very own socialite, Chris Doyle. <laughs> that can be far from the truth. <laughs> well, yesterday, our Chris went along to meet two bona fide football legends, Paul Elliott too, in the Hilton, so there is a lot of truth to that. Yeah, true. I'll be asking him about meeting Gaza and Jaws, and tomorrow we'll uh, sees the long-awaited return of the Dundee Derby, so we'll be taking a look ahead to that. And finally, we'll be rounding up the latest transfer goings-on with just four days left until the end of the window. So yesterday, the man sitting across from me was hobnobbing it with three former Serie A stars, namely Joe Jordan, Paul Gascoigne and Paul Elliott. We'll have some features up on the site soon from the interviews that Chris did, but I'm sure our listeners would be interested to know what it's like to sit down with three such big names. We'll start with Paul Gascoigne, who in many ways is a man who needs no introduction. He's had some very well-publicised personal demons, but on the pitch he's remembered as perhaps the most talented British player of his generation. He's played and scored in some of the biggest derbies in world football, including Scotland v England, Arsenal v Tottenham, Roma v Lazio, and of course Celtic v Rangers. Chris, was Gazzo in good form and what do the two of you talk about? Um, yeah, he was. I mean, I have to say, I was quite kind of apprehensive, kind of nervous. You know, he is obviously such a, a big figure. You know, I mean, goes down as a, a legend, not just maybe of Rangers, but of football and very high profile. And in terms of what's happened with him in the past year, I wasn't kind of what to expect from him. Um, but he was, yeah, he was in good form. He was kind of just reminiscing about old Rangers days, you know, Lazio. Uh, talking about obviously Celtic Rangers this weekend, um, and just kind of a lot of kind of good kind of humorous stories as you'd imagine, and it was just kind of he's he isn't the run of the mill kind of you see these pundits going around in terms of, like giving their views or former players in the games. He isn't like you always kind of see the similar ones, uh, maybe Jackie McNamara, <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, like it's good to kind of you know get. Uh, with him, it's a wee bit, you know, you don't usually get to hear his thoughts about, say, if it's Rangers or other matters. So he was in good form. And, um, yeah, it was just kind of like, a bit, it was, I did feel like it was kind of almost like a bit of a privilege to be sort of sitting across from him and just kind of having like a conversation with him. Um, and just overall, yeah, it was like, he was, it was just like a, it was a good interview. It went on for about half an hour around with him, sort of like six other guys from the papers. And, yeah, um, just some insightful stuff, and hopefully the feature that will go on later on, um, readers of the site can get a glimpse of that and sort of, you know, see what he was talking about. But yeah, it was overall very good. Yeah, good. I mean, you you, you wouldn't really expect Paul Gascoigne as long as he's a sort of a sound frame of mind. You wouldn't really expect him to be to be boring, would you? You know, we no, saw some of the not, stuff no. uh, during his playing career. I remember, uh, I think uh, Ali McCoyst being on goals on Sunday once talking about that Gordon Jury when they were both at Rangers Jury had somehow annoyed Gascoigne so he decided he was going to get him back so he got these two fish and he put them in Jury's car so one of them he puts in the car like you know he tapes it under the seat and then Ali goes to put the other one in and he goes no 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 and he unscrews the back wheel and puts the fish under the <laughs> back wheel and he goes when he finds the first one he'll think that's it and then <laughs> well he was mostly talking about obviously I think the question's getting uh, from that more about Rangers, but obviously they were there with Premier Sports to promote their Serie A coverage. So there's a little bit of chat about his time with Lazio, and he was talking about kind of his appearances on uh, Football Italia with James Richardson. Um, apparently there was a segment um, before my time um, <laughs> where he was, it was in like his house, and um, he was basically 
in his own bed and stuff and they were coming in making breakfast in his <laughs> uh, in his house or his, his flat or whatever and um it was just like sort of one of the other guys brought that up and he seemed to really kind of enjoy and kind of think reflecting on those memories um but i think the, the interesting part was when he was talking about his rangers time i think towards the end of his lazio uh, tenure he was he had a lot of injuries he wasn't really enjoying enjoying himself and even though he wasn't a rangers for necessarily a long period of time he really does feel like um his time there was his happiest spell as a footballer considering he played for you know newcastle spurs you know successful teams and it's just yeah he just holds it in such high regard which is brilliant to kind of see that you know a legend of the game kind of thinks of you know playing for a scottish team like kind of has that high on his list so yeah it was um yeah it was a good experience and same with um sort of uh paul elliott and joe jordan also just providing sort of you know like good insight the guys you're not always going to hear from like sort of like on a week-to-week basis and uh, did Gaza give did he give you any sort of insight about you know what it's like to play in the Rome derby against uh, the Old Firm derby? Yeah, um, he did. He said it was um, yeah. The, he's seen there they are just completely different. Obviously the same kind of hostile atmosphere, but he scored in um, he scored in both. Um, he obviously had a really good record in Old Firm derbies. I think he'd won eleven of the the twelve he played in, um, but he also scored that one against Roma and he was kind of saying yeah, that like, a late winner, yeah, yeah. it was a, a header I, l- I looked up actually beforehand to see it was a really good goal and he was basically saying like you could score in the sort of in the derby of you know against Rome uh, Roma sorry Roma could go on to win like you know higher league position go on to win the cups go on to win the league whatever and as long as Lazio had won that game like Lazio fans wouldn't care that was kind of the sense of like how big that derby is Mm-hmm. Um, so he, the, the, obviously the magnitude of it is just as big as Rangers Celtic, but <clears throat> he was saying it almost just goes down to those those few games yeah, or two, two, games two, two, two a season. They're so big, doesn't necessarily matter how it affects the rest of the season. So I thought that was quite interesting because obviously, obviously, I watch you might watch it on the TV, but you're not really kind of obviously you know kind of in there you know within it to actually know the kind of you might know actually a lot better than me, but it, it seemed like that's the kind of the vibe he he got when he was experiencing it compared to Rangers and Celtic. Yeah, just how big it is. Um, Joe Jordan was also there. Um, Lo Squalo himself. Uh, he played for both Milan and Verona in his time in Italy. Were you tempted to try and throttle him, Reno Gattuso style? <laughs> um, uh, no, I wasn't. <laughs> um, that was uh, that was obviously I don't see I don't really remember. Obviously, I don't remember Joe Jordan's playing days. That's actually one of the memories I do have of him. Obviously, um, when he was a coach, and I remember like that's what my dad brought up to me beforehand. He was, and then I was like, I do actually remember that. And then he was, he was, he asked the same question. Are you going to ask about it? And I was like, probably not. We'll just stick to kind of Scotland mm-hmm. and stuff. So, um, yes, insightful chat again, and kind of branched off to Liam Henderson. Obviously, him making his uh, debut. In Serie A, um, for Verona, uh, for Verona, yeah, and um, obviously I think you had mentioned as well in, on Twitter about him uh, carrying out the interview in Italian. It was, it was really good, just good to see these kind of embrace himself with the culture in terms of like how well he's doing over there. But he's not just doing well, kind of professionally. It seems it seems like he's really sort of personally as well. He's having a great time. So obviously Joe Jordan knows better than anyone him going over from to Milan from Manchester and then to Verona as well and. Um, yeah, he was just saying that just kind of how well he'd done and also just kind of, I think he was essentially tipping him for like a Scotland, Scotland call-up and this season anyway, he thinks he can definitely, the way he's going, progress to get that. Uh, so yeah, it's just, and just reminiscing about old World Cups as well, obviously he had a great Scotland career and yeah, um, yeah, so it was, 
very so three different characters um, in terms of Gaza, Joe Jordan and yeah, Paul Elliott. He's nice. Um, he's nice, Joe Jordan. I mean, despite very, his hard very, man image. I mean, I, I've interviewed him, and he's a, he's, a, he's a nice guy. You wouldn't you wouldn't think of the the hard man image, although I'm assured by uh, people who remember him playing that he certainly wouldn't want to mess with him. Yeah, you wouldn't want to get in the wrong side of him. That's no. for sure. <laughs> and uh, so the third guy, uh, which you alluded to, was the former Celtic defender and someone I remember fondly from Football Italia on Channel Four as a pundit rather than a player. That was uh, Paul Elliott. What was he like, and what did you discuss with him? Yeah, it was mostly about discussing about the Old Firm game of the weekend, uh, obviously him being a defender, talking about um, actually Christopher Julian in particular in terms of how he's had kind of like a slow slow start to his Celtic career in a sense and how he's almost been written off. And just obviously if he's starting on Sunday, it was more like how, how can he kind of settle into the game and make sure he has a sort of, you know, a good game considering there's all that pressure his first old firm game potentially um and just like how he's not had the best start and talking about how maybe potentially he could deal with Morelos as well because maybe he's not a player he's um type that type of player he's came across in terms of just like the, his physicality his runs in behind and I think um obviously a very accomplished defender himself and um, I think he was just saying that a lot with Julian is obviously kind of like his confidence, his uh, psychological aspects, you know, kind of mental, not nece- necessarily his ability. So it's going to be that's definitely a matchup that's going to be interesting to watch on Sunday, I think, just in terms of see how that pans out because Julian is going to have his hands full. So how's he going to deal with that? So it was, we chatted, chatted about that to him and. Um, obviously, he was his time at Celtic as well, and it was um, quite similar, I suppose, for him when he went to Celtic, yeah. coming from a league in Serie A, coming from Pisa into a very different kind of league. Now, obviously, he played in England, but it was obviously a similar sort of adjustment that he's making to the one that uh, Julian's going to have to make. Yeah, definitely. And he kind of he said that he struggled to kind of hit the ground running as well when he came, and he gave a lot of credit to his teammates and sort of the coaching staff that was around then to kind of for him to kind of settle in. And um, you're kind of hoping that's the kind of the same sort of um, support that Julian will get as well because it's not necessarily easy to come from say a different league and just adjust like straight away which a lot of um, I think kind of unfair as criticism as if his pundits or if his fans just completely deciding after a few games like oh yeah he's you know it comes, with, it comes with the price tag as well and I think that's what he was alluding to. Absolutely. Well, that'll do it for uh, Chrissy's Wicked Whispers. <laughs> but, um, and so we'll move forward to a certain derby that's taking place this weekend. Nope, not that one. It's the long-awaited return of the Dundee derby. The sides haven't met in the league since May 2016 in what was billed the Dundee derby. Both sides were back in the were in the Premiership back then, but Dundee relegated their city rivals with a 93rd-minute winner, which has to be one of the sweetest feelings it's possible to experience in football. United haven't been able to return to the top flight since that Craig Whiten goal and Dundee dropped down to join them for this season. Uh, it's a sellout at Tannadice tomorrow night. Do you think it's good to have a fixture like this back on the calendar? Uh, yeah, definitely. It's kind of gone under the radar, obviously, with Celtic Rangers happening this weekend. But it's a shame that it's, I think there are two sides that should be in the top flight. You know, It's a shame that it's not happening uh, in the Premiership. But at the same time, it's good to um, see that rivalry again because there's been some great matches over the years. Obviously, you know, literally our neighbours. Um, yeah, right across the street, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and I just think there's kind of some interesting kind of storylines to go with it. Obviously, with Shanklin's had an incredible start to the season. Yeah, he's got um, he's got seven goals in the league already and Dundee, as a team, have scored three, so... <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, they're going to be, obviously, I'd say, favourites going into it. And, you know, even though Dundee are the team that have came down, you know, United, they're the ones that have been essentially tipped to, to win the championship this season. Um, so how are they going to 
deal with that pressure. Um, and you know, as you know, form kind of goes out of the window. So you're saying Dundee haven't started so well. Um, it's going to be it's going to be interesting, but I think it's overall just kind of the grand scale of things, kind of grand scheme of things. It's good to see that actual fixture back because you're saying that's not it's been a while since, and um, there's not many kind of there's not lots of derbies in terms of like in terms of around Scotland. So it's you know just to have that fixture kind of back in, and it'll be a great watch on Friday night. You know it's good this no it's not on like sort of gets overshadowed if it was on sort of like Saturday wouldn't be on the television I'm presuming yeah it's, it's on the BBC Scotland yeah, so, channel so, yeah, so it's sort of free to air everyone can watch great. it yeah. I, think, I think they'll get a lot of people tuning into it and I certainly will be as well um, it's really good they're, they're showing championship fixtures on a Friday night but what that's such a great one to show probably to, potentially you know one, um, one of the matches of the season so yeah looking forward to it yeah, I just think it's a it's a bigger game for Dundee really because uh, Dundee United have got nine points from the three games. Dundee have got five, so they're four points behind already. If they lose that game at Tannadice tomorrow, then that's seven points behind at this early stage in the season. You know, that's obviously there's a long way to go, but it's a it's a big gap to make up. And obviously, the this season, well, for both teams, it's about getting promoted, but also you want those local bragging rights, don't you? Yeah, for sure. And I think with James McPake um, coming in, it's you know, he's not used to sort of, you know, basically got kind of promoted um, in his first job. And, yeah, he, there's going to be a lot of pressure, you know, when you go down to come straight back up. Um, and I think with their kind of not, like, terrible start, was, you know, slower start than Dundee United, I think the the pressure is going to be in them to at least uh, kind of grab a point, at least. Um, if you get a win, that would make a statement, as you said, the kind of bragging rights over your rivals. But also, equally, if you, you flip that, I mean, Dundee United they have not dealt with the pressure so well the past few seasons when like kind of push comes to shove um they have fallen short um you look back their penalty shootout in the playoffs as well <laughs> they've just not turned up and you know they've had this hot start and yes they've got shanklin which is a big bonus but i mean you know they're going to you know being out in fr- being the front runners with, with teams chasing them like they they still have a lot to prove that they can actually deal with that, and so this is going to be a test for them um, um, on Friday night for sure to see where the as a derby will be see where their kind of title credentials are at um, if you get what I mean. But I think um, so. I think there's pressure on both sides, but for kind of both for different reasons. Yeah, I think so. And uh, Dundee United haven't actually won in the derby since 2015, which probably goes into oh, wow. what you're saying. I think yeah. I think they had a win on penalties in a League Cup group game, you right. know, after a draw. But I'm not sure that really counts. But certainly, um, aside from that, they haven't won the derby in, in four years, which is which is a long time. You know, it's a long time for the that lot literally across the road to have to have the bragging rights. So, although obviously it's a big game for Dundee, it's definitely a big game for Dundee United too because you want to you want to settle that score, you want to put things right. Yeah, they want to get that kind of almost like a kind of monkey off their back. Um, yeah, exactly. In terms of yeah, just getting those and getting three points would be huge as well. Just in terms of like yeah, they're as you said, they would then go what seven they points clear. Go, well, so seven, well, that's the, yeah, of Dundee obviously. Of Dundee, yeah, still there, but, uh, yeah, but I mean that's very what f- you know four or four or five games in. That's a lot. Um, that's a still a significant gap, you know. Yeah, absolutely is. Although I say, I think even if Dundee United win, I'm not sure that it'll ever overcome Dundee relegating them with a 93rd minute win. No, I probably think, not. I think that's <laughs> any, whatever team you support, you dream of the kind of thing of relegating your rivals with a 93rd minute winner. It's just, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a beautiful sight in football. Anyway, not for Dundee United fans, <laughs> obviously, but uh, 
Anyway, so we'll move on and we'll just, there's four days to go in the transfer window. So rather than going over the same old transfer stories for 10 minutes again, as we've done, we'll just do a quick little roundup of, of the some of the big stories that have been catching the eye today. So the first one is that Kilmarnock have apparently rejected this bid from Sunderland for Greg Taylor, which was apparently 750000 Now, Kelly's asking price, we think, is about $3 million. So Chris, that's a bit of a ridiculous offer, really, isn't it? Yeah, so far off the valuation. Um, I'm not quite sure what they were doing with that bid, you know, um, it was only ever going to get kind of knocked back unless they were offering, you know, if there was you know, some exchange involved or whatever. But yeah, it's it's surprising because they came out last night with like, oh, Sunderland almost going to rival Celtic for that. And you're thinking, well, with Jack Ross, Sunderland, um, you know, a big, a, a attractive side that would be for, for Taylor. I mean, you know, and honestly, like yeah, just as club. much, yeah, just as much as Celtic would, you know, be a, still a step up. Um, but yeah, I yeah, I'm totally think that Kelly are well within the right just to throw that right out the window. Um, the I think I was saying the other day that they're when you see Ball and Golly going for three million, they are well within the rights to be like that's if you paid that much for him, this is how much for say to Celtic, this is how much you have to pay for them. Um, and yeah, they need to now. There's four days left. They're running out of time, and Celtic need a left back. So. You know, this is like another kind of you're you've seen it so many times. Uh, yeah, well, you just need to so. kind of come up with the money because if you don't, then you're just going to end up, you know, with a player that, you know, either on alternative who's not good enough, and um, you've got to wait till January or whatever, um, or you're just going to be left short of the short of the back. I think we've actually got a very very small update just before we came on air. Um, oh, really? The Angelo Alessio, they asked him in his press conference and he confirmed that the bid had been rejected from Sunderland and he said there have been, quote, some conversations with Celtic. Now, I think I don't think that means that Celtic made a bid. Uh, Alessio said he doesn't want to let him go, but he said that, um, you know, if the club get the right offer that he's uh, sort of acknowledged that he could move on. So do you think that's a sort of uh, acknowledgement that Taylor will be going to Celtic or do you think this is just... Uh, it's just another, just another twist in the long-running saga. I know, because really, a few days ago, it was like uh, Melling from Rosenberg seemed to be the guy they were looking at, and Taylor was kind of, um, kind of in the background. But now it's switched, so it's very, it's very hard to tell with these kind of stories how they're going to kind of transpire. But um, I would, th- I would think so. Taylor, Taylor makes a lot of sense just because he's already played, uh, played in the league, played a lot of games for Kelly at quite a young age. He's shown that he can showing glimpses he can take that step up to the next level when we've seen him appear against uh, Belgium, Scotland. Didn't look out of place at all. I was really impressed with him um, for that game <coughs> last season. Um, so I, I think it's, I think it will. But honestly, I, th- I wouldn't be surprised if this is a thing that happens like an hour before the deadline or something <laughs> instead of it just being like, you know, uh, there is a, a lot of things that need to be worked out and, you know, transfers. But um, I feel like this it could just go down to the wire again, to be honest. Yeah, I have that feeling as well, that it will go right to when Kelly can't get a replacement in. That's the feeling I have about it. Um, So we'll move on to another one. Celtic have been linked with a familiar face in Bilal Omrani of CFR Cluj, who obviously played in the team which knocked them out of the Champions League. We've got reports out of Romania that Celtic are basically on the verge of signing him. We've had a few reports then from, I think, the Scottish Sun saying it's not happening, so... You know who knows what what's what's going on there. Uh, obviously, there's di- different. The sources in Romania will be from Cluj. The sources here presumably will be from Celtic. So we don't really know. But uh, Chris, do you think that would be a decent signing for Celtic? Is that really what they need another forward? Yeah, no, a, a striker, not so much. Because I think, especially the weekend, seen, <clears throat> seen uh, Bio play 
and not score because they were both well given his yes. own goals <laughs> harshly but um yeah he was really good in that game and obviously kind of had a huge hand in both the goals so they weren't credited to him um and Celtic fans were kind of crying out for him just to get that he's only kind of making these cameo appearances and um, he's kind of had a stop start um um since he's came in in january uh for injuries and just kind of getting game time um but he was looked impressive and if he's going to be say your third kind of your third string striker i mean it seems like they've got a pretty good kind of lineup going forward then obviously they've got an abundance of wingers and um, obviously um you've got griffiths in there as well and you'd imagine he's going to chip in along the way in terms of goals so i'm not quite sure like the reported figure was three million and seeing imran is like You've seen him twice. Obviously, he scored those two goals against Celtic, not going to the Champions League. That's just quite a small sample size. And I'm always wary of. I think Rangers did it last season. I was going to say with like Eros Gresda. Yeah, with Gresda. And, um, and was it. What was uh, it, Barisic? Barisic as well. From yeah. Ossijek. From Ossijek. Yeah, because well, Gresda didn't actually play against Rangers, but presumably it's when they'd watched him in right, the, the yeah. previous games, the scouting. They'd obviously gone, oh, he looks a player. Because I think in the Europa League round before they played Rangers, I think he scored two goals. And they've maybe signed him on the back of that. Now, obviously, we don't know if that's the case. Yes. Maybe he was already on the radar. Maybe they did huge amounts of scouting. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's the same for Celtic and Omrani. But it does kind of have the look of, oh, he's played well there. I'll like, sign him up. And obviously, with Gresda, it's not worked out. And there's absolutely no guarantee, as you say, if yeah. Celtic just look at a guy who, you know, he did play well in both legs against, particularly the second leg. Um, he was certainly, you know, good in the air. Mm-hmm. Looks, you know, looks like a good player. But as you say, it's a very small sample size. And I think it's a big risk to sort of go, well, he played well against us. So let's sign him up. Yeah, and you're saying with um, Gresa doesn't... I mean, there'll be a formula that always kind of works out, as you say. Um, Neem Barisic has question marks over, over him, although um, looking better than, than Gresa anyway, because he's on his way out, it seems. Um, but yeah, even even if that's the case, you're right. I just don't think that that's Celtic's kind of priorities um, with a, f- a few days left. Um, definitely, also, that a left-back. They've, they've got, they brought in uh, Bauer yesterday um, from Stoke for a right-back, so that was needed um, in terms of cover that position um but i'm not quite sure that's kind of if they could get you know if they get that left back and they get an our striker and then i don't think fans are going to complain because i still think it's been quite a average transfer window so i'm sure they wouldn't complain but it's just wondering how how he would fit into the team with edward starting the season very well and it seems like they're he's not playing uh lennon isn't playing two up front he seems to be kind of rotating edward obviously he got rested with bio and if it's griffiths so then if there's a four striker I don't really see how he's going to be getting much game time unless he really, you know, hits the ground running or Bio's left. Yeah, kinda, or they loan Bio Which, out which or would something. be a shame because you've seen at the weekend the Bio's got something about him, so it'd be good to see them kind of progress him along this season, give him give him starts against in you know your likes of St. Aaron in the Premiership at home where he can sort of get that confidence um, and kind of that progression um, in terms of just adding things to his game. Absolutely. Um, Stevie May, it looks like, is finally going to be going back to St. Johnson. That's one that kind of almost happened last month, then collapsed at the last minute. Uh, Stevie May, obviously a bit of a hero at St. Johnson. He sort of helped them win the Scottish Cup in 2015. He got two goals in the semi-final against Aberdeen. Do you think that's a good move for him? Yeah, well, I think it is, um, just because familiar surroundings, if if you're ever kind of going to you know, reignite his career in a sense because he's had a few seasons where with his injury in Aberdeen where he's not done well and um, it's just not went right for them so kind of come back to a former club um, I think it should be he's going to get the game time for and he's first and foremost I think um, but as Tommy Wright knows him well he'll be able to kind of utilise him the best way possible put in the best position to kind of pr- score goals produce goals and 
Um, I think all in all, it's a good move for both sides because St Johnston are like they're. I think they're in dire need of a striker. So I think getting a guy who's you know his he does have the potential that quality, but he's just had not had a good few years. So you could be if he shows something like the player he was, and that seems like a you know a steal. But then the risk goes with that is that you know that it was a pretty horrific injury that he's just not the same player anymore which is what Aberdeen fans and I'm sure Derek McInnes would kind of think is why they're letting him go because they don't think he's the same player um, which is a shame because um, he obviously in his kind of his peak at St Johnston he was brilliant moved down to England it didn't work out uh, but overall yeah I think it's a good I think it's a good move for both of them and um, it'll be interesting just kind of hopefully he can kind of kind of capture that form again um, that we've seen uh, yep, I think I would agree, agree with that. And just finally, a player leaving St. Johnson, Richard Foster, has been released and he's gone back to Ross County. He seems to have a bit of a, a falling out with Tommy Wright. I'm not going to ask you for hugely in-depth thoughts on this, Chris, but that's a decent pickup for free by Ross County, and it? it's an experienced Premier League player. I think he was St. Johnson's Premiership player. Sorry, listeners, do not write in. Uh, <laughs> Premiership player. He was St. Johnson's vice-captain. I think he's a, that's a decent signing for free, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Kind of late stage of the, the window as well. That's kind of like a nice boost to just kind of add that kind of player in. Um, will he, how many games he'll play will be kind of st- starting, but just kind of that experience around the dressing room, especially. I think Ross County are going to need that. They've got a lot of young players, um, just in t- terms like, you know, their main goal this season to stay up. Um, they've had a good start, I have to say. Um, although, game against Livingston, weekend, that, yeah. that kind of might be back down to earth with that one because that, that wasn't expected after a good couple of results. So, but yeah, you're right, just his experience and um, I think he's shown St. Johnson. Obviously, there's been some kind of fallout there behind the scenes, but it wasn't a case of, you know, he wasn't good enough to play for St. Johnson and that's why he's moved on. So Ross Kane could have got themselves a steal there, really, I think. Absolutely. Uh, that's all from us at Football Scotland for today. We'll be back tomorrow before 4pm, just in time to make your daily work commute that little bit more bearable. You can get more from us at the Football Scotland website or our social media channels on Facebook and Twitter at football underscore Scott. You can also leave us a review on iTunes where someone recently praised our quote, passionate and intelligent pundits, which means you don't actually have to be truthful. <laughs> so, and to ask a question or make a comment to us individually, you can get me on at Gary McKay and Chris on uh, by Chris Doyle. Until tomorrow, thanks for listening.